See, the Macedonians proved to us that all of us, no matter what your financial situation might be, all of us are capable of being generous without any, any exceptions. That's the great example of the Macedonians. You certainly can't be poorer than they were. You're not being persecuted like they were. Indeed, the Macedonians were dirt poor, but they begged the Apostle Paul for the privilege of giving to help the persecuted and impoverished believers in Jerusalem. I came across some data that's a couple of decades old, but I doubt if the numbers have changed very much. I read that the percentage of personal income that the poorest American households gave to charity in that year was 5.5%. However, the percentage given by the wealthiest households was only 2.9%. Neither number says good things about the generosity of the typical American, but it's interesting to me that the more affluent we are, the stingier we seem to be. If the Macedonians could be generous, why can't we do the same? Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He's guiding us through a series of studies from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Today, as Pastor Steve begins his fourth message in this series, We're moving on to verses 6 through 8 of chapter 8. In his wonderful book, A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens introduced Ebenezer Scrooge this way. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. Mm. How incredibly sad that so many Christians also fit that description. Here's Pastor Steve now to tell us why we should be generous. Well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as we continue our study in this wonderful book. And we are studying the subject of giving, giving by grace, not law, grace giving. And the verses we're going to look at begin at verse 6. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Some time ago, a USA Today poll asked people to finish this sentence. Here here was the sentence. They said, finish it. I'd give more money, but... And so they asked people to finish that sentence. And the results were these. Most people said that they didn't give more money for one of two reasons. Either they doubted that their donation would be put to any good use, or they claimed they had no excess income to give. Now, whether those things were honest or not, I I don't know. But regardless of why people don't give more money, the reality is that most people are just not generous. That's that's reality. They're they're not generous. And this lack of generosity is not limited to non-Christians. According to Crown Financial Ministries, 37% of adults who attend church weekly give absolutely nothing. Now, that's astounding, but that's what... They found 37% of adults who attend church weekly give absolutely nothing. And only, and and I realize you can get lost in statistics, but this is very, very interesting. Only 2.6 percentage of all evangelicals give to any type of charity. Only 2.6 
of all evangelicals, which we would be in that camp, born-again believers, give anything to anyone or any organization. Now, this stingy mentality amongst Christians is not a new problem that has recently surfaced in our affluent society, because back in New Testament times, there was a church who was very guilty of being closed-fisted when it came to collecting funds and giving, and that's the church at Corinth, and that's what we've been studying. The church at Corinth was instructed by the Apostle Paul in his first letter, chapter 16. He very clearly said that when you gather on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, when you gather for worship, he said, I, I tell all of you that you are to set aside, each one of you, some money for the collection, which was ongoing for the poor uh, Hebrew believers in the city of Jerusalem. And you know what? For a while they did this. They practiced this. They, they did this every week, but then something happened. Something caused the collection of money to come to a standstill. Paul indicates this. And in fact, more than indicates, it says it in verse 11 of chapter 8. He says, but now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. So at one time, according to this verse, they had been quite zealous. They had desired to do this. They were ready to do this. They were doing this, but then something happened. Now, what happened? Well, Paul doesn't specifically spell it out here, but I think in the overall context of 2 Corinthians, it is very reasonable to suspect that the problem went back to the false teachers who had influenced this church in so many areas, and it's reasonable to believe that they had influenced the church to stop the offerings. Now, why? Let me try to put some things together for you. In chapter 12 of this letter, I want you to turn there and see this. Paul gives an indication of what may very well have been the problem of why the offering stopped. Second Corinthians chapter 12, notice verse 14. He says, here for this third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, meaning I will not be a financial burden to you. If I come to you, you don't have to take care of me. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Paul is saying, I am your spiritual father in the faith. I'm not coming to get anything from you. I'm coming to give of myself, as any parent would do for their children. I don't want to take anything from you. I'm coming to, to give. So he's talking about finances. He's, he's talking about money issues. He says in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Said, I, I never burdened you when I was there. Now watch this. He moves into being sarcastic and he says, nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you by deceit. He said, now think back with me. When I was with you, did I burden you in any way? Did I say I'm here and give me your money and feed me and house me and I'm going to be a burden to you and your budget? He said, oh, oh, I forgot. I am such a crafty fellow that I, I would have done all those things. So he's being sarcastic. Verse 17, certainly I have not taken advantage of you. And he means financial advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? Now, he said, I didn't do it personally. I sent men involved in, in, in ministering to you. Did they do this to you? But crafty fellow that I am. Now, let me suggest to you that that is exactly what the false teachers charged Paul with. They said he is deceitful. He is crafty. And the reason Paul is so interested in this collection 
which he says is for the poor saints in Jerusalem, is because Paul's taking money from the offering plate. That's why. And I'll take it a step further. I, I think they probably said something like this. Yeah, he's no burden to you. Yeah, he says he doesn't want a salary. Sure, he's got all the money he needs because he takes it out of the offering plate. So that was, I, I really think, was behind this. And it would seem to me very reasonable to put it all together and think that the Corinthians, some of them at least, bought into this and said, you know, they, they have a point. Maybe Paul is taking advantage of us. All right, let's stop the offering. Because if Paul's benefiting from this, then that's that's really deceitful. So let's stop that. So that was part of the problem there. Now, Paul had sent Titus to the church. They had repented of their attitudes towards Paul, though things were somewhat fragile, as you'll see as we get into the rest of the book. Not everything was great, but for the most part, they had repented, they were reconciled, and now Paul addresses the the offering. Now, with that out of the way, now he turns to them in chapters 8 and 9 and says, I urge you, finish what you started. Yes, it got stalled. Yes, it came to an abrupt halt, but finish doing what you had started to do. Restart the offerings and complete what you had begun. So Paul's purpose in writing in chapters 8 and 9 deal with giving, but watch this. It goes beyond that. Not only is he urging in these chapters the Corinthians to restart this collection, but, and this is important you understand this, but he is teaching them in the process of giving, don't just give, but be generous in your giving. Be liberal, be abundant in your giving. And that's why the concept of generosity flows throughout these two chapters. We know this because he opened chapter 8 by telling us about the Macedonian Christians, right? In northern Greece, there were a group of churches who were very liberal in their givings. He said that in verse 2, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality, which is it comes out very awkward in our English translations, but it simply means this. In the midst of suffering and in the midst of financial deprivation, these people joyously gave liberally. They gave a lot, and they gave it in joy, though they didn't have a whole lot to give, and life was pretty rotten for them. That's what he's saying. So they were, they were generous, and that's how the, that's how the chapters open, but he's not finished. He goes from the, uh, the human model of generosity to the most supreme divine model of generosity, and that's Christ in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you know the grace of the Macedonians, but you also know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, meaning in his incarnation, in his crucifixion. The crucifixion was the ultimate demonstration of poverty, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich, meaning spiritually wealthy. And Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll look at that verse. But he talks about that. So he's talked about the Macedonians. They didn't just give. They gave liberally. Talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't just give. He who was wealthy became poor so that we who are poor might become wealthy. And then as you move into chapter 9, you see that throughout this chapter, Paul makes some very key and critical statements about abundant giving. For example, chapter 9, verse 6. He says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you give a little bit, you get a little back. You give more, you get, you get more. Now, he's not teaching what some teach today, the health and wealth gospel. Uh, give so you can get, so you can re really indulge yourself. Paul's 
Paul's teaching on giving is give so you can get so you can give more. That's, that's the difference. He says that here. Verse 10, he says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You give more, God will give you more. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in everything with, for all liberality, through, uh, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And then verse 13, he says, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. What he means by that is when Jerusalem gets this collection, they're going to praise God because you're obedient to the Lord and they're going to praise God that you're so liberal and generous in the way you've treated them. So more, I want you to understand more than just giving, God wants us to be generous givers. And it's so important to him that in the passage that we're going to study this morning, he lays out for us several reasons why we should be generous. That is to say, God doesn't simply say, be generous, and it stops there. That'd be sufficient if that's all he gave us. But he gives us substance. He gives us uh, reasons. He, he helps us to think this thing through so that there'll be some, some backbone to our giving. And so this passage we're going to study this morning answers the question, why be generous? That's, that's a very valid question to ask, especially in these difficult times economically for our, for our country. When there's such uncertainty about our nation's economic future, why should we be generous? This passage answers that. When finances are tight in, in our own families and just about everybody with few exceptions uh, has some financial struggles, why should we be generous with others? When we're just trying to make ends meet with our own loved ones, why are we going to be giving to people we either don't know or hardly know? Well, that's what we want to find out this morning. Why should we be generous? As we go through this passage, we're going to see three reasons, three biblical reasons why every Christian should be generous. And remember, when the Bible speaks of generosity, the Bible does not mean by that that you give huge quantities. The Bible means proportionate giving, sacrificial giving. It may be that for a young child to give 10 cents, that may be a lot more generous than for some of us to give thousands. So we want to keep that in mind. God is not talking about the the amount that's given, but the attitude, the proportion to what you have, the uh, the sacrifice, what it costs you. That's what God means by generosity. Having said that, let's begin, and you can take notes on this. The very first reason Paul teaches why we should be generous is because, number one, the Macedonians were generous. We should be generous because they were. Verse 6, so we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Having just written about the incredible generosity of the poor Christians in Macedonia, Paul now urges the Corinthians to follow their example, the example that they set and complete the collection that they had started. That is to say that I've just written to you about the Macedonians. Now, Corinthians, I haven't written to you about the Macedonians just to give you a little history lesson on what they're doing, not keeping you up on current events. I've written to you so that you do something about this. You follow their example. And he mentions Titus because this collection apparently, according to verse 10, had been inaugurated under the ministry of Titus. He must have been there to get this thing rolling. And now Paul is simply letting the church know that at a future date, he's sending Titus back to Corinth to finish it. 
Now, that's significant because if you recall from last week, one of the reasons the Macedonians were so giving, one of the things behind their giving is that Paul says in verse 5 that they gave themselves to the Lord. They first gave themselves to the Lord. And to us, he says, by the will of God, they first said, Lord Jesus, here's my life. I, I give it completely to you. Whatever you want to do with it, everything I have belongs to you. You take it. When, when the Lord has a heart like that, then money is not an issue. They're going to, they're going to give. But these folks went a step beyond that. And it, Paul says they gave to us as well. They, they gave their lives first to the Lord and then to us, meaning that they said, look, you're his representatives. You're his leadership. Uh, we submit ourselves to your authority. God works through authority. You're our authority. If you say, Paul, that the saints of Jerusalem need this, if it's important, then what do we know? We don't know as much as, as you do about the situation at Jerusalem. We trust you, and we're going to give what you're asking. And so Titus was all part of that. And so Paul is simply saying that that the Corinthians need to recognize the uh, the authority that Titus had as one of the spiritual leaders to give, even as the Macedonians recognized that Paul was their leader. But having said that, the main point of this verse is to prompt the Corinthians and us to be generous, just like the Macedonians. That's, that's his point. In other words, if the Macedonians could give generously poor as they were, then certainly the Corinthians and all of us should give generously. And we want to be careful at this point. We want to be careful to note that Paul is not pitting one church against another type of rivalry who can who can raise the most funds giving is not a competitive sport so you you want to understand that however the macedonians ought to inspire in every one of us the attitude of generosity it's as if god is saying look i took the macedonians who are the most uh unusual example you would never expect them to be the example of generosity, the most unlikely candidates. And I've set them before you and really for 2,000 years before every believer as the, the human model of giving and generosity. By design, God did this. And it's as if he's saying, look, here they are. If you look at them and they could give and they did, then there is no valid excuse for any Christian to say, I, I can't give. See, the Macedonians proved to us that all of us, no matter what your financial situation might be, all of us are capable of being generous without any any exceptions. That's the great example of the Macedonians. You certainly can't be poorer than they were. You're not being persecuted like they were. We've already spent several weeks examining the details of the of the wonderful generosity of these churches in Macedonia. So I, I don't need to belabor the point. I've already done that. However, I do think that in order to appreciate their giving, you need to understand something of the very deplorable financial situation they found themselves in. And the historical background is this. Several hundred years before Paul and the gospel came to Macedonia, this region of the world was quite prosperous. Northern Greece, very prosperous. And the reason, the primary reason they were quite prosperous, because there were many gold mines found in this area. But during the first century, when the gospel came and when Paul came, the economy of that area had deteriorated because the, the Romans came in, the Romans now ruled the world, and they took possession of the gold mines, 
They, uh, they taxed the copper and iron smelting. They canceled the right to cut trees to build ships and homes. And in addition to that, several wars were fought on the soil of this area, and there were numerous invasions by barbarians. And so basically this once flourishing area had become an impoverished region. Understanding that, you'll appreciate that the Macedonians, with not too many generations removed, were descendants of people who at one time were quite wealthy. That was their cultural background. They were quite prosperous. So these people came from wealth. But now they had become, as I told you, dirt poor. Dirt poor. Not just poor, but really rock bottom poor. Economically depleted. Yet in spite of their financial destitution, they they gave. That's the beauty of this. They gave. Now, it's interesting. By comparison, you might wonder, what about the Corinthians? They're in that general region as we look on a map, but they are in southern Greece as opposed to Macedonia, which is in northern Greece. They were in a region called Achaia. And you can look in your Bible maps and you'll see it. But in contrast to the Macedonians, the Corinthians were doing quite well. The city of Corinth was a flourishing city in that day due to the high volume of trade brought in by its not one but two harbors. And yet with all of their their money, Paul has to stimulate them to give. You know why? Because they're cheap. They're not givers. The Macedonians, on the other hand, had next to nothing, but they're giving. The Corinthians were prosperous, but they were not. Because why? Giving is a matter of the heart, as we've said before. So if you take the name Christian, you claim to know Christ, you should understand that God expects every Christian to be generous like the Macedonians, regardless of how much you have or don't have. See, we want to make sure that we, do, we, we are not like the world. We do not want to hold on to our money as if it belongs to us. It does not belong to us. Nothing you have do you really own. I read this week about John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, who one day, and I don't know all the details of it, I just sort of glanced by the story, but one day uh, one of his houses caught fire and burned to the ground. Now, we might go into a panic on that, but John Wesley looked at it and said, well, that's one less house of the Lord that I have to take care of. It's, it's his and burned to the ground, so I don't have that responsibility anymore. He had an understanding that it really wasn't his house. Nothing we have belongs to us. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, Why? Uh, what do you have that you did not receive? It's a good question. Is there anything you and I have that we didn't receive from God? Absolutely not. You say, well, I um, I have this job and I have these these talents to do this, but who gave you the talents? Who gave you the brains to do that? Who gave you even the air to breathe that can sustain you? And God doesn't charge us for that. I mean, everything we have, really, we've received. You were born into this world having nothing, and you will leave this world having nothing except a relationship with Christ or without a relationship with him. But anything of a material value, it's on loan. Marjorie Holmes wrote, Sometimes I'm ashamed of how much I want mere possessions, things for my husband and the house and the children. Yes, and things for myself, too. And this hunger is enhanced every time I turn on the television or walk through a shopping mall. My senses are tormented by the dazzling world of things. Lord, cool these fires of wanting. Help me to realize how futile is this passion for possessions. I admit that I struggle there too. Lord, help us to learn that while you enhance our lives with possessions, they and we ultimately belong to you. 
You've been listening to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit Lakeside, the address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. And the phone number is 727-441-1714. You can also get more information online at lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is made possible in part by the generosity of caring listeners like you. Find out how to give by calling Lakeside at the number I just gave, 727-441-1714, or on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Thank you for your gifts and your prayers. We also have hundreds of previous broadcasts available for free streaming or downloading on the Message Archive page. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope you'll join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff shares more from the Scripture about the reasons why we should be generous. We are here to give you strength between